Ready? Absolutely. Here we go. You are listening to Learning Transforms from the Faculty of Education at the University of Victoria. We are coming to you from the traditional territories of Lekwungen people and recognize the Songhees, Esquimalt, and Wasanich people's historical relationships with the land. Welcome to the show. Hi, Emma. Hi, Ted. So what are we talking about today? Well, today we have Wendy Sue Andrew here. She is the executive director of the Lifetime Network. And she is being recognized in the year 2020 as the Distinguished Alumni of the Year. So, uh, Wendy Sue, welcome. Thank you. It's nice to have you here today. Can you, uh, well, first of all, because you're a Distinguished Alumni, tell us about the program that you you did at UVic? Yeah, in 80 to 85, I was uh, in the Physical Education Department at UVic and had had a great time. And then okay. moved on to teaching for a bit. And now you are, as uh, Emma said, the executive director of Lifetime Networks. And talk about the journey from graduating in 1985 to your current position as the executive director. What, what led you there? And I'd always wanted to teach. I'd had lots of opportunity. I taught uh, Sunday school and taught swimming and, and um, coached gymnastics and coached soccer. And just thought that that was the right career path and of course my parents thought it was a good idea and thought I was good at it so down that road I went and uh, the education degree is a very good degree because it's so it teaches so many important business skills and life skills uh, the, the planning the programming curriculum development all those things apply in so many different areas so when I graduated uh, I'd gotten married and uh, had three children in three years and we, I was also teaching part-time and then moved into more of a full-time teaching in small school so I could work around my children's schedules. And when my son, who's our eldest, was uh, 15 months old, he was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. And it was pretty minor at, at the time, uh, although it was a big shift for me to, to think he's no longer going to be the Olympic gymnast now. <laughs> I'm not sure what he's going to do now. And uh, we we got connected with, with uh, people in the city, in the uh, sector that, that supports people with disabilities. And uh, when he was three, he was diagnosed with autism. And that was, that was an interesting experience. That was way back in 1990. And autism wasn't a big thing then. Mm-hmm. It's a big thing now. Mm-hmm. I, I truly believe that we're all on the spectrum. I don't think it's... I don't think it's different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we all are somewhere in there from a 1 to 10, and it kind of depends on on um, how that part of our being affects us. For example, I count garage door panels. My husband won't bike over, over lines. <laughs> we, we all have these funny little things that kind of fit into, into that spectrum. So that was, that was quite the, the shift in our family. I continued to teach, and then in... 2000, I noticed a, a position description for a 10-hour-a-month position with a very fledgling lifetime, uh, agency called Lifetime Networks. And it was a group of five parents who started Lifetime Networks because they wanted to answer the question, what's going to happen to me and to my child when I'm no longer there to, to support him or her as an adult? 
And it was an interesting question because Corbin was still really young. And I hadn't kind of thought that far ahead, but the idea of the not-for-profit and the small agency was quite intriguing. So I applied for that and, and got that position, again, at 10 hours a month. And uh, now, a few years later, we have uh, about 400 staff. Nope, that's not right. About 400 uh, people we support and 142 or so staff. And it's grown from that original concept of what's going to happen when when me or the parent is, is no longer there to support the adult child to what can we do to engage and connect with people with disabilities, primarily on the higher end of the spectrum, uh, to, to create relationships. Because relationships are really, really vital. People can be the, the best athlete or, or the smartest person ever, but if they don't have friendships and don't have relationships, it's a pretty lonely life. So that's kind of how I, I gravitated from, from the teaching into Lifetime Networks. And interestingly enough, th those skills transfer. Mm -hmm. I, I have a friend who's on the autism spectrum that I've worked with for years with her and her family as a support person. And she's part of the Lifetime Networks, her and her family are. And I've seen firsthand the impact that your organization has on families, a family in the community, and just that feeling of comfort knowing that, that their child is supported. And it's amazing. So you must have some pretty spectacular stories of success with the people that you serve. Yeah, we have some, we have some pretty fun stories. We uh, were accredited almost three years ago now, and accreditation is a huge process that any entity needs to go through if they have 500,000 or more of government funding. And during that process, we received, it's, it's a huge process, we were accredited in 840 standards. And it's all best practices. It's, it's a really positive thing. It certainly turns one's life upside down for a while, especially the first time. And, and and we did really well with that and received our full three-year accreditation. And we also received a, a commendation, and less than 2% of accredited bodies in North America received one, and ours was for person-centeredness. And we we're really so proud of that. And so when, when you ask about stories and, and uh, differences and, and um, the fun of... of building relationships and seeing growth in, in people, and largely it's transitioning youth. I mean, we're all pretty young at 19. We all need a little, <laughs> little support. Uh, it's, it comes back to that person-centeredness. We, we have quite a, quite a thriving theater program, mm -hmm. and we currently are running theater shows out of Langham Court twice a year. And uh, that started because we had a young man who was in our continuing education program, which runs in a in a space right behind my office. This young guy also has a, a trach. So when he talks, he talks like Darth Vader. And all he's ever wanted to be is an actor. And here he is in this continuing education program. I, I, I think it was creative writing or something he was in. And it just wasn't, it, it wasn't his passion. So he would stand outside this little narrow hallway outside my office and, and give little speeches. They have a name. I can't think what they're called. 
soliloquies. Soliloquy, yeah, yeah. Yeah, something like that, yeah. And uh, he would give these, and it was very often kind of dark, frightening stuff, and he's saying this in this voice, and thought, wow, that's interesting. And uh, he just wasn't engaging in, in that program. So we chatted with him and, and his supporters and said, okay, let's 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 give this theater thing a go, and, and we can't lose money because we're not-for-profit, but we don't necessarily have to make it outside of good business practices. So to make this theater group run successfully, we needed four people. We had so much interest in that theater program, and it's now, I don't know, maybe eight years old, maybe more. And that, that all started because this, this young guy had a dream of, of being an actor, and the generic community theater wasn't accessible to him at that time. We also had a have still someone we support who had a real interest in poker. So we thought, well, okay. So we got a poker table and, and uh, someone who was able to facilitate the poker and, and uh, five or six guys were really interested in, in joining and playing this. So they would come in with their hats and, and all their chips and junk and uh, sit down to play poker once a week. And interestingly enough, the guy we started this for wasn't really interested in that, and uh, he goes to generic poker game and has been for probably four or five years every single week. And it's not with cash, it's with chips. And we originally had supports there with him because he didn't feel comfortable. And uh, over the years, those supports faded, and he's just there, one of the, one of the, the community members who goes out and, and plays poker once a week. Mm. And then we um, we have something called pods, and the pods are really fun. It stands for people outside doing stuff, <laughs> and the idea is not everybody wants to continue education, which is in a group. Not everyone is is wanting employment at at a given time. Certainly, not everyone wants a one to one support situation, and funding's really limited. So, if we have somebody who has perhaps three hours of support in terms of funding, translates to about three hours. If, if each of those three people are like-minded and have similar interests and want to develop a friendship, each of them can contribute an hour. We can get a facilitator in and they can have three hours of support. And the PODS program has gone really well. Many of the facilitators have worked themselves out of a position in that particular, in those particular PODS and that's great. We have one pod that meets uh, one night a week at a pub, and the guys get together and they watch whatever game's going on and have a beer and a burger, and uh, then head home. We have another pod that does power building, power lifting, because that's what they're interested in. Uh, we have a couple of D&D &D pods, and again, it's just, it's, it's so interesting and, and um, exciting to watch people grow with a little extra support you know people just grow and move out from the support environment into a generic environment and that's really important and largely it's because in high school people who are just a little different tend to be isolated and isolation is such a lousy thing and if we don't have the opportunity to practice social skills and um, practice friendships and feel confident, then we just isolate more and more. And it's, it's staying up all night and playing games and, and sleeping all day. 
But with those those extra supports, that practice, and those relationships developing, then people can head out and and be outside, be in the community, be just one of everybody, which is really important. I want to pick up on something that uh, you you just mentioned, and and that is your you have a different kind of funding model. You had said a moment ago that uh, people can contribute hours that can go toward defraying the cost of the, the service that they acquire. And that's that's a very different sort of model for a, an organization such as yours. Can you tell us a bit more about that and how it works? Yeah. Everything we do at Lifetime Networks pretty much is fee-for-service. So people either have government funding that's attached to them, and that's the currency that's used is ours. So somebody may be approved by the government for five hours of support a week or 10 hours of support a week. And this puts those individuals in the driver's seat because they are now purchasing. They're purchasing services from Lifetime and we need to do a really good job or they'll leave. And that's where it should be. It's very individually driven. We also have people who work and uh, use use their their wage, salary to pay for supports, and we have people whose families pay, and we have people who do a whole combination of those things. What we don't have is a contract that is owned by the government where people can go into a spot if they're next in line, or it's vaguely the right fit, but if they don't like it, and they don't like it, then they leave, but the, the dollars stay. We have, we have people who are, who are purchasing. They're, they're purchasing their supports, and, and that, that um, allows us to really work on best practices and to be as absolutely accountable as we possibly can to those people and, and um, families, if, if that's what individuals choose. And you feel that's been an advantage for you as an organization, as opposed to X dollars that buy X lots and when they become vacant, someone moves in. And you're, you're much more kind of consumer and client focused, I think, in, in terms of your, your service we are. delivery. Yeah, we are. It's, it's, it was more difficult. It was difficult when we could get to each tipping point where we had a few additional people coming in with a few additional hours, but not enough to cover additional staff per se. We don't keep a we don't keep a pool of staff staff are hired for specific individuals. But it was that sort of tipping point where we go, okay, we're going to we're go, we're going to be running really tight for, for a short bit until things even out again and, and we have more individuals who can match with with certain staff and, and increase hours. So that was always a, an exciting challenge until we got big enough that we could ride out um, ebbs and flows. And you have 41 staff, you said? 141. 142, yeah. Wow. So it sounds like your programming has some peer support aspect to it. Is there um, any place that that the broader community can get involved in Lifetime Networks? Oh, yes. We had about 28,000 volunteer hours last year. Wow. So when Lifetime began with those first five families, and, and the idea was to answer the question, what's going to happen when uh, we, the parents, are no longer there? 
they didn't want just paid supports in in people's lives and again back when my son was little I didn't really get that I certainly do now people with disabilities or barriers tend to have a lot of paid people and that's that's um, that's frightening for mm -hmm. families we don't want to leave our children with with only paid supports none of us want to be with only paid supports we want true reciprocal relationships and that's where the network started and the networks are all voluntarily run except we don't use the word volunteer then they're network friends so somebody will come to us and say I'm feeling really lonely and really isolated I don't have friends and I'd like to, to start a network so there's a facilitator hired and for the first year the facilitator decreases in hours so they start out at about six hours a month and by the end of the first year they're down to three hours a month and it's that facilitator's goal to find network friends and they're entirely based around reciprocal interest and um, goals I, I suppose and so we have a lot of volunteer opportunity in the networks with network friends and I'm, re I'm so hesitant to call the network friends volunteers one of our long our longest term network friend actually she's she's now um, retired because the person she supported passed away way back a few years quite a few years ago volunteer week came around I think it's in the spring and I said why don't all the, the networks appreciate the, the network friends during volunteer week and uh, a group of us had a discussion about that and she pointed out that it's not volunteers this is this is friendship so we really try to make that understood to the the network friends and and uh, the post at the center of the network and the networks ebb and flow it depends on where a person is in their life if it's someone in their teens it tends to be all around friendship uh, and hanging out if it's someone in their 20s or, or early 30s they may be looking at at changing their employment situation or changing their housing situation and so like any of us may say to our friends what, what, what do you think I might be good at at a job or hey will you practice some interviewing skills for me or uh, I'm thinking about different places to live what what do you think would work or what things do you look for when you're when you're looking for a place to live that is such a community-based model where did the inspiration come from to to build the organization in that way the first family started uh, um, through a connection to a group in Vancouver that was doing networks. And we had a, uh, some mentorship in the very, very beginning. Uh, but now it's just, it's all, it's, all, it's all of us together trying to make it one, one community, everybody, just everybody all together. We, we are a benefiting charity for the Royal Life um, Marathons. Good life, good life fitness marathon. And we used to do picnics. And the whole idea was with this whole marathon team and we had different different groups that ran and different people that ran. And and uh, the theme of this picnic was just all of us all together. And we try to keep that sort of a culture. It's just all of us all together. So when you build the programs, it sounds like you're building them off of needs that are coming up 
from the people who use your services. Is that is that how the process began, like quite organically in that way? It's entirely how the process yeah. began. Yeah, absolutely. Everything that, that we create, we look and see if there's a need. And if somebody else is doing it somewhere, then we're not going to jump into that. So it's limitless, really, as long as you have the people and the participants and the willingness, you can go anywhere with it. Yeah, and yes, we can. And where are you hoping to go next? There's a, um, there's a really innovative program that five agencies in the province are piloting, and we're one of them. And it's not all that much different than, than what we currently do, but we see it as a, as a real opportunity for choice for people who are coming out of a continuing education program. And it has pillars, and one of them is employment, and one's relationships, one's education. And it's looking at, at just meeting people at, in the space and the time where they want to be met. So somebody may want, want supports on a Saturday night from 5 to 8, and that's perfectly doable. So it's really getting away from the idea of, of supports only during a traditional workday, which Lifetime's never done anyway, but that tends to be the, the model around. And people's aren't, people aren't fitting into those models anymore. And uh, the other area where we feel we have an expertise and, and see a real need is multiple complex needs. So people so often now have mental health issues and uh, perhaps addiction issues as well as, as the barrier of, of some sort of a developmental disability or autism. And that's, like it's the title, complex, multiple complex needs. It's very complex. So we have people who, who don't have homes at the moment and, and uh, really struggle with, with being successful and safe in society. So that's an area where we're, we're very seriously expanding. And uh, we have a mental health team. And uh, that's just launched. And they're amazing people who've graduated from the mental health program at Camosun. So that's kind of, I guess, where we see the biggest need. And it's not just us. It's around the province. Multiple complex needs has become a really big deal, especially as homelessness is, we're finding homes, um, just finding places to live, has become less and less affordable. Mm. Wendy, so your, your organization is called Lifetime Networks. Are these connections that your clients make literally for a lifetime? Do they begin as young people and continue through their 20s and 30s and, and um, continue to benefit as adults? Or is there a fixed period of time where they come in and, and they're with you and, and then they move on? No, it's lifetime networks. So the networks, the idea behind the networks, the original program with the network friends and someone at the center of the network is, is there for a lifetime. So we are there that network is there when the parents pass away. It's there as as the network friends age, the person at the center of the network's age. And uh, we have had now several networks where the parents have passed away, and we have networks where the person at the center has now passed away. So those go on in that same form forever because of friendships. People do move away. Things like that happen. But the intent of the networks is that they're there for the lifetime. It's a wonderful concept. It's like yeah. fa like a family, it like is. an extended it is. family. 
they get very close. And uh, the network friends, the networks support each other in, in, in um, you know, the, the, the joys and the challenges of life. It's not just the person at the center. It's the whole, the whole network has become close. And the other programs, well, those are, are age-specific. So that, that was a challenge that we had with the Being a Citizen program. People would get comfortable, and they'd be there for five years, six years. They'd switch, switch curriculum days, perhaps. But there was this comfort level, and we just couldn't allow that to happen because that's not, that's not, the, that's not the flow of life. Most of us don't stay in school forever. So that's partly where pods came in. And uh, we also have the employment program. So we do continue supports throughout a person's lifetime if that's what they wish. But the way that looks change is just like the way any of our, our lives change. I'm wondering if you might share with us a success story of a particular person that uses your services, if you can. We, ha- we, we have many. We have someone who has a degree from the university and faced enormous, enormous isolation and uh, real difficulties with being isolated because isolation is so difficult. And uh, he ended up becoming a staff member and, and has been a really valuable staff member because there's a real empathy there. It's not coming from outside. Mm-hmm. And that's been very very successful for for those he's tutoring and has supported. We have another two people. Uh, when the young guy came to us, his, he would have been 19, I guess, and the profile that came with him was quite frightening. And we thought, I don't know, this isn't what we're seeing here. And uh, over the years, he grew and, and uh, his talents and abilities and his social skills grew. And he met a young woman that, that uh, we also support. And they moved in together a couple of years ago, I guess now, maybe three years ago, two years ago. And they live independently and they both work and they both support themselves. And one of my, one of my favorite moments is one of our other guys came into the, our space and I said, oh, what are you doing here? Because it wasn't the usual usual day that he was there, usual um, curriculum day. And he said, oh, I'm, I'm just uh, meeting up with, with these two and we're all going to their place for dinner. I thought, so cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, similar, you know, I, I heard some guys talking and, and uh, then met with someone else that they all met together and uh, they're all heading down to a pub for a beer to watch a hockey game. It's those sorts of, it's those sorts of everyday things that, for me, are just so successful because that that's just such a, such an indicator of a, of a healthy life and a rounded life. Do we have friends? You know? mm-hmm. A few years ago, when we were doing presentations, we did some research, and the most googled the most googled question was, uh, why don't I have any friends? Wow! And that's just that's just across the across the, the human, across, across society. I was reading something, you mentioned Google, and I, I came across something on the, the news feed the other night on the internet about Britain actually has a ministry of loneliness. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they're concerned with keeping people connected, and they know the health effects, the negative health effects of being alone. 
yeah. and not having someone to connect with. And Absolutely. It all comes down really to relationships. I mean, jobs, yes, money's, money's important to be able to, to live. But boy, oh boy, you know, if you fail lunchroom, you're going you, you're gonna to get let go. It's really important. And you've been at the organization now for 19 years. Mm-hmm. And have you seen a change in, in, the, in the broader community in Victoria since you started with? Oh, very much. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot more. Yes. Yeah. There's a, a lot more expectation from people we're supporting for, for varied services and supports. Um, the generation of my children, they're, they're round about 30. That generation are, are pretty accepting. It went from integration to inclusion, which is a big deal. Yeah, integration is kind of tolerating, and inclusion is let's all be here together. There's a, yeah, there's a really big difference. And it's also, I think, really exciting to have such an effective tool for diagnosing autism. And the fact that those diagnoses are so, are so prevalent, again, is just bringing it into the norm because it is in the norm, and and that's just going to increase and increase and increase diversity in our society in in all different ways. Yeah, I think it's admitting that there really is no norm. Like exactly, none of us are normal. We all have our own differences, and that's a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. Well, this term neurodiversity mm-hmm. is something that is relatively new we wouldn't have heard that 10 years ago but now you talk with teachers or people that are coming into our systems and and they talk about working with a neurodiverse group of students mm-hmm. yeah and it's a yeah it would make a wonderful classroom mm-hmm. it's not just the roles anymore it's how we're best going to meet the needs of of each child yeah wendy sue can you tell us a little bit more about what it means to be recognized as the 2020 distinguished alumni Quite honestly, it's intimidating. Uh, <laughs> it's 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 very validating. It's also very humbling because it, most most people who graduate, I, I make such a difference in their in their chosen field. So I'm very honored, but it really really makes me want to to uh, ensure that other people is you know, are, are being recognized and are, yeah, being recognized. Because everybody does, people do their best, you know. We all work work hard to, to make Victoria in particular a, uh, a, a really great place, which it is. Well, Wendy Sue, we really appreciate your time today. And um, we're also very pleased to have someone who is really a distinguished alumni. You've done so much for the community and so much for... Uh, people in this city that it's really a, a, a pleasure and a privilege to talk with you. So thank, thank you for you, coming. Thank you. I was, I was very, very honored with the, with the award. This episode of Learning Transforms was produced by Julie Remy. Sound recording is by Bryce Manny. Sound editing is by Emily Mabobi. I'm Ted Rekin. And I'm Emma Edmonds. Thanks for listening to the show.